But the one of them I already gave everybody, and it is to treat recruiting like a marketing activity. Take it away from your HR team. Take the, take the recruiting part away from them and say, I'm going to give it to marketing. Because when you put an ad out there or you develop a careers page or you create an employee testimonial, those are all marketing activities. Yet we give them to our HR team or our off manager or even worse, our finance department because HR seems to roll up that way so often. And these people don't think like marketers. They're not marketers. They don't know how to compel people to action. Hey, Construction Nation. Welcome to Lead with Trust. I'm Sue Dyer, and I've been on a three-decade journey to figure out how to make sure our construction projects succeed and produce some extraordinary results. My trusted leader journey has led me to work on over 4,000 construction projects worth over $180 billion. In this podcast, I'm here to teach you everything I've learned. One thing I know is that it starts with the leaders of the businesses and organizations that come together to build a project. If that's you, let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation, Sue Dyer here and with another episode of Lead with Trust. And today my guest is Ryan England, the CEO of The Core Matters and host of the Blue Collar Culture Podcast. And Brian has a new book out that's called How to Hire the Ones You Won't Want to Fire. And his expertise is helping construction companies to hire and keep the best people. And today, that is a critical issue for every construction company that I know of. So I think you're going to really enjoy this episode where you're going to learn five secrets to recruiting. You're going to find out about the biggest mistake most construction companies make when they are recruiting. And you're going to learn about the top way that you can put out an ad for someone and get 300% improvement in response. So a lot of great things in today's episode. So let's get going. Hey, Construction Nation, Sue Dyer here. And we are joined today with Ryan England, who is an expert in making sure that we hire the right people. And in this day and age, I can't think of a guest we need more. Welcome. Thanks for having me. So I know that you have uh, a new book out and, uh, and it's about, I love the title, I have to show everybody, How to Hire the Ones You Want, Not the Ones You Want to Fire, or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think we all want that. And, uh, and, and Ryan works with a lot of blue collar folks, so he's used to our world and understands it. And that's where he's been helping most. So uh, I really want to welcome you. And uh, I always ask everybody this crazy question or most guests, you know, tell us about you in high school. Where, what group did you hang out with in high school? Oh, I, I was the misfits. That's that's what they called us. So we were the ones that we weren't the jocks. We weren't the nerds. We were kind of the, I think now that they, they used to call us stoners, even though we didn't do drugs, like that was just the group. Um, 
Now they're probably hipsters. I'm not sure. But uh, none of us knew what we wanted to do when we grew up. None of us wanted to be in high school. We all wanted to be doing other things. We had lots of extracurricular stuff that we did, but I can't get into that, <laughs> what some of that stuff was. But uh, we had a good time. I just remember in high school thinking, you know, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. And I don't want anybody to tell me what I should be when I grow up. Well, that sounds a lot like my brother. <laughs> yeah, I, I can relate to that. Yeah. So, so how did you get to Blue Collar? So tell us a little bit more about your background, your yeah. experience, and, and uh, how you became uh, an entrepreneur in the Blue Collar world. So I grew up in a Blue Collar family. My dad was in manufacturing. Uh, he was six hours a day or six days a week, 12 hours a day, you know, the typical entrepreneur that started their business. And I remember as a kid that he, I would go down there after school. I would go down there on the weekends. We would spend time at the plant together and he'd always put me to work, but I thought it was cool. I was hanging out with dad and it wasn't until I was older that I realized, no, he was putting me to work because he didn't have people. And so the challenge for him has always been being able to attract and hire the right people. But when you're an entrepreneur, most people don't know you exist. So you get word of mouth and that's about it. So as I was growing up, I decided not to go into the family business because I didn't want the crazy hours and the pressures that he had. So I went to college, got my degree in HR and um, finished that and realized I don't want to do HR. So... Um, Funny circle here, right? Uh, so I go into corporate. I spend a, a decade in corporate, and I learn about process and systems and um, all the things that my dad could have used in his business to really help him out. So I quit, and I started a digital marketing agency because that seemed interesting to me. And we served home service contractors, and we worked with smaller home service contractors, you know, under a hundred employees. And um, we did that for a long time until. They all stopped the marketing. They all stopped advertising because they did not have enough technicians to do the work. So I was like, well, I have a background in HR. I did a ton of recruiting for corporate. I understand system and process. And I believe that recruiting is a marketing activity. We can solve this problem. So about eight years ago, we set out to test it with a couple of clients. It worked really, really well. Uh, solved their hiring problems within weeks, not months or years. And so I started sharing it with other people and eventually develop the system and the processes that we now train our clients on today so that they can really focus on hiring the right people. Oh, I love the idea that uh, hiring the right people is your best marketing or part of the marketing process. I think that's true. And, and I know in, in, the, in the, some of our world, um, I do have some contractors that uh, I work with that are more service oriented, even though they're unionized, they, they still service, they do this service and this one and this one. And they're, mm -hmm. they're not doing it consumers, but they're doing it on large projects. And it's a very different animal than uh, working on a project where you're there for four years. Yes. That is very true. different. But we do, and, we have started to work with a lot of um, civil contractors and uh, that aren't on the service side. And they're on a project for two, four, six years sometimes. Um, but even if that, they aren't able to keep the same craft workers the whole time. Um, the labor, the labor market is still just churning for them. And so when we work with companies that have those long projects, we're really focused on how do you retain the good people and bring in more good people so you can get the job done profitably. Well, in this day and age right now, it's really challenging 
um, hearing on projects I know that I'm working on and another hear other people that uh, there just isn't enough people. Mm-hmm. And as a result, there's also not enough contractors either. So people yeah. are not necessarily going in. So if you lose someone, it's hard to replace them. Yes. So, Absolutely. you know, that's why I think this is so relevant and so important for people to hear today that we need to learn some new tricks, some new ideas, new concepts uh, for building our workforce and keeping it. So, so let us know, you know, I know that uh, you have some five secrets for filling every open position with the right person at the right time. And I'm a great believer in EOS, yeah. you know, the entrepreneur operating system. For those of you who don't know that it's, they have a, they have a concept in there called right person, right seat, right, right seat, right person, right seat. And so, um, so powerful. I highly recommend it, but what are our five secrets? Well, I will share them with you. Thank you, know, you these Ryan. Are big, these are big concepts. So feel free to ask me questions. We can dig into any of them. But the one of them I already gave everybody, and it is to treat recruiting like a marketing activity. Take it away from your HR team. Take the, take the recruiting part away from them and say, I'm going to give it to marketing. Because when you put an ad out there or you develop a careers page, or you create employee testimonial, those are all marketing activities. Yet we give them to our HR team or our off manager, or even worse, our finance department, because HR seems to roll up that way so often. And these people don't think like marketers. They're not marketers. They don't know how to compel people to action. So the first thing you can do is treat recruiting like a marketing activity. You should have KPIs. You should be able to know what you can measure. You should be creative with it and create ads and material that attract people to you, just like your marketing would. That's number one. It would seem to me too that if I'm the owner of this business uh, or in a leadership position, I am going to ask myself, are we attractive to people? Would you want to work for you? Yeah, would I want to work for me? Yeah, Yeah, that might be be the first question. (laughs) (laughs) Which leads me to secret number two, which is take really good care of your employer brand. So we talk about branding as it relates to marketing and do our customers like what they see, but we really need to be considering do our employees or prospective employees like what they see? You know, if someone goes to your Yelp page or your Google reviews page and they see two stars, yeah, I get it. Those are customer facing, but if an employee sees that and goes, well, the customers don't like being, you know, working with them, don't like being a part of this brand, why would I as an employee? And so make sure that your employer brand is, is up, to, up to speed. I, I joke around all the time. I'm like, it's the equivalent of putting that picture of you holding an axe, you know, up on your dating profile and thinking it's cool because, you know, you like to chop wood or something. And the first thing that people go through is like, he looks like an axe murderer. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but how often do especially construction companies disregard their brand because maybe they're in a situation where all they do is bid work. And they're like, I, who cares about my website? Who cares about my online presence? I get it. Your customers may not, but your employees do. Because 90% of people start and end their job search online, which means when they type in construction jobs near me, If they don't like what they see, when your name comes up, 
they're not going to come work for you. And I think I think it'd be worth diving in a little bit to talk a little bit about what a brand is, because I would think that most construction companies don't even know what it is. Fair enough. <laughs> so there's two sides to branding. There is the, the graphical elements, which is what most people think. I've got a logo. I've got letterhead, a business card. There's that side of branding. When I talk about employer brand, what I'm talking about there is the messaging side of your brand, who we are, what we stand for, why we do what we do, why we care enough to serve this community, our clients, and our team. And that messaging is absolutely, I mean, it's, it's the linchpin in being able to recruit great people. Like it is the most important piece because that is what people want when they're looking for a new job. Do you have any examples where someone switched out their messaging and they got a, a much better result? Yeah, we have, a, we have a client. One of their core values is give a damn. What That's is it? one of their core values is to give a damn. Okay. And I remember presenting it to the leadership team. They're like, we can't say that. That's so... But, but one, of the, one of the owners was like, hell yeah, that is us. So they rolled it out to the team and, and I don't remember the exact number, but within weeks, productivity went up because there was this, this hoorah moment, this, you know, bringing everybody together around this idea of we give a damn. When we're here, we actually give a damn. It wasn't we care or, you know, we like what we do. It was, that was too warm and fuzzy for them. And so now they had T-shirts made, they had hard hat stickers made. Everything says give a damn. Uh, they even had a video where they got like 80 people on one job site to stand in front of a drone and scream, we give a damn. Like it was a big thing and they rallied around it. Well, now all of a sudden these crew members would go home and they would talk about how they gave a damn today at work or how one of their teammates or crew members gave a damn and how they were so excited about the projects they were working on. I mean, it changed the energy inside the organization, but it also made it so much easier to recruit because now we said, if you don't give a damn, don't apply. We don't want you here. You're going to be here. You have to give a damn. That's, that's an excellent example. I really love that because it's a unifying message that everyone can be behind and, and will also be contagious to everyone else on the project. Yeah. Yeah. So what's number three? Secret. So, yeah. So this is a tough one for a lot of people. Uh, probably a whole nother episode to talk about why the construction industry is dealing with the labor shortage the way they are. But I mean, there's a lot of stats and data out there, but I think a lot of it comes down to the fact that for decades, construction companies were known for not treating people very well. And when you look at who's really influencing the next generation, so think about the high school kids that have graduated recently, it's not their friends that are influencing them to not go into the trades. It's their parents. It's their parents say, no kid of mine is going to go be a construction worker. You're going to go to college and get a degree like I never did. Because we have, as an industry, the construction industry has conditioned an entire generation of people to understand that we don't care about them. We don't give a damn about them. They're expendable to us. When we bid a new project and we've got to staff up for that, we staff up for that. But then two years later, when that project's done, you got to go find another job. Well, that's really tough for a, a person who maybe has a family or kids at home 
to be able to create some reliability inside of their work. So people start turning their back on construction because there's never been a commitment. I'm not saying not everybody, but as an industry known for not creating a commitment to say, hey, we're going to figure out how to get you on that next job because we know you got a family to feed. No, it's always been up, oh, laid off, see ya. Or, hey, you know what? Performance is down a little bit. You're out of here. And people have disregarded the fact that these are real life human beings who crave relationship. So that's secret number three, is to really understand that this is a relationship between the employer and the employee. Now, I just had, I just met someone the other day who wrote a book called Date Your Clients. And he's talking to me, he's like, hey, you could date your employees. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. It's not that kind of relationship. But we have to understand that if we want people to care about our business and to care about the projects that they're working on, we have to care about the fact that they have personal challenges they're going through as well. And if we're not going to be there for them when it gets tough for them, why should we as employers expect them to be there for us when it gets tough for us? I think it's even uh, not as much anymore because there's nobody sitting on the bench in the unionized uh, firms. But it used to be that I would find companies that really didn't have any long-term employees. They would get a job and then they would go pick their people. And the people sitting on the bench are usually not, you know, the people that are, you can, you can get an exception, but usually the people who uh, are not the, the, the best workers. Yeah. And uh, so they they just never had a workforce. They just saw people as um, individual units <laughs> instead of right, cogs in the machine. That's instead of building it. this team yeah. uh, that that really uh, coalesces and creates the performance that they need to succeed. Uh, mm -hmm. I still see that today, not to the extent I used to see it like 10, 20 years ago, but I still see it today. We and see so, teams that when they really embrace this and they really do it, not only does the employer give a little bit on the relationship side, but we see employees do the same. We've worked with teams where maybe they lost a key client and there have been people that said, hey, you know what, boss, I get it. But instead of me quitting, how about you just reduce my pay or reduce me to part time? I'll go get a second job until we get a new client together. Mm -hmm. Like your team will be willing to go. I mean, to the ends of the earth to stay a part of your team when they really feel like they belong and they feel like people care about them. Yeah, I believe that that is true. I see that uh, a lot. I also see that uh, some of the employers that spend a lot of time and energy in training their people, and maybe it's a, like a specialty, they've spent a lot of energy and they have their way of doing things. Mm -hmm. I mean, they always pay them very well. They treat them very well. They make sure that that group is with them. Uh, but I don't. I but I see this in the same industry in the same market. People that don't do that, and then they wonder why they have a hard time competing. Yeah, yeah. Right now, if you are not thinking about how you can train your people or train new people. Um, even introducing them to the trades. Like I, I use the word apprenticeship, but I use it loosely because I mean you don't even need to have a formal or accredited apprenticeship program. You just need to have a training program that says for month one, we're going to do this, and month two, we're going to do this, and month three, we're, just so that people know that you're you're pouring into them and you're investing in them and you're teaching them the trade. Um, yeah, even and, if it's and that there's a place accredited. to go in the company, yeah. like leadership possibilities and things like that. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. So yeah. that's a tough one. And that's where it gets a little warm and fuzzy. I, 
we have a lot of clients who are like, oh, I'm not into this warm, fuzzy, woo-woo stuff. You know, I'm like, but your people are. So you just have to remember that. Well, their people are people. Yeah, I mean, it's all people. <laughs> yeah. So that, so that's number three. So number four is address the red flags during the interview process. Now, I know there's some people listening right now going, what interview process? Like if they show up, they could hold a tool and they're breathing like they're hired. You know, that's that's kind of what where people have gone lately. And I still think you need a robust interview process. And it's one of the things I'm really passionate about is having a really objective, measurable interview process so that you spend time getting to know them, but they spend time getting to know you. I find that most companies right now do not have a hiring problem. They have a retention problem. Mm -hmm. And if you don't believe me, go to your HR team or your controller, whoever does your W-2s at the end of the year and say, hey, how many employees did we have on December 31st of last year? And how many W-2s did we mail out? And I promise you the numbers are going to be vastly different. And we talked to somebody, they had 12, and they sent out 47 W-2s last year. And I said, you don't have a hiring. You clearly can hire people because you hired four times your current staff last year. You have a retention problem. You're not holding on to people. That's why you're struggling right now. And what we find is when you have a really objective, measurable interview process, you'll reduce your attrition or, or the turnover that you have by more than 60% just by making better hiring decisions. So it's not that you have a hiring problem, it's that you have a gap in your hiring process. And what the hiring process, the interview process will allow you to do is to address red flags with people who maybe aren't gonna fit your culture. They're not gonna belong on your team. They're not gonna do a good job. They're not gonna commit to you. You can address those things during the interview process. Since my Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Trusted Leader, came out last February, so many of you have asked me to create a course based on my book. So I've spent this year developing the Trusted Leadership course, Go Farther Faster by Using Trust. And I'm so excited to announce that this self-study and also group coaching course will be ready for launch in January of 2023. It has six modules that will be transformative for you and your leadership. And I guarantee that you will get a breakthrough to the next level of trust in a challenge that you and your team face. And the group coaching is there to support you every step of the way and answer your questions and learn from others. I'm so excited. And I hope that you will jump on over to sudico.com slash course, S-U-D-Y-C-O.com slash course, C-O-U-R-S-E, and reserve your spot today. Now, back to the show. So how help people understand what a red flag might be? You kind of gave us some hints there, but... Sure. Um, how, how would they address them? What might be a red flag and how would they address it? So, so one of the things I hear often is like, I just wish people would show up on time. <laughs> I just wish they'd be there on time. Well, great. Make that part of the interview process. Question number one, did they show up five minutes early for the interview? If the answer is no, before you have any other question or you make them an offer, say, hey, I got a question for you. 
punctuality is really important here. In fact, we pride ourselves on being at the job site on time, putting in a good day's work till, the, till we all go home at the end of the day. You were seven minutes late for the interview. Is that normal for you? And have that conversation before you ask any other, I mean, that's a huge red flag. If people showing up on time, if people showing up on time isn't important to you, don't worry about it. But if it's important, address it right away. Or, what, uh, or whatever one, it is, yeah. Whatever it is. Another one we see a lot is people don't want to put their phones down on the job site, right? No matter what you say, no matter how many times you say it, they're going to take a breather for a second. They're going to pick up their phone. They're going to pick up their device. Well, if you see them doing that in the interview process, or they look down because they got a text message or something like that, you need to address it right then and there because that will come up again when they're working for you. Uh, another one we talk a lot in the service sector is a lot of times if they've got field technicians is they want to make sure that the person is going to be professional and present themselves well because they're representing the brand. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things we'll say is, hey, at the end of the interview, we'll tell the employer this, walk them out to their car as part of the interview. Peek inside because that's what your van's going to look like in three months. And people are like, oh my gosh, I never thought about that. Like that's a red flag. If they can't take care of their own stuff, they sure as hell aren't going to take care of your stuff. That is true. So address these things. You know, when I ask people, they tell me I, they can't find good people. I say to find good people. Never once have I had anybody say, oh, they can turn a wrench. They can weld a bead and they can operate a crane. Never once do they say that. Good people is always defined by they care. They're professional. Make eye contact with the customer. They don't talk back to people. They show up on time. All of these things that are behaviors that we can't teach, but we completely disregard interviewing for them. I, I don't know why, but those are the red flags you need to address. That's perfect. So what is the fifth secret? And the last one, set proper expectations. It blows my mind how often I see companies say, hey, thanks for playing. You start Monday at seven o'clock. Here's your address for your job site. And then they show up on the job site and the superintendent's like, oh, I didn't know we had someone new starting today. <laughs> um, I don't even know where to put you yet. Let me, let me get with the foreman and figure out what crew you're going to be on. And in the meantime, the superintendent's calling the office like, who is this guy? Like, is his I-9 back yet? Did, did he pass his drug test? Is he allowed to work here? And so the, this new employee sits around for half the day before they actually get put to work. And then the whole time they're thinking, wow, they really cared about me that much that <laughs> they didn't tell anybody I was showing up. And I'm not saying that that's a bad process, although it's a bad process. Uh, I'm, if that's your process, a bit wasteful that's your at the very least. <laughs> but if that's your process, tell the employee, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Things are a little chaotic right now. I'm making you this offer. I want you to be the job site at seven o'clock on Monday. And I'm going to shoot an email to the superintendent that you're coming. But superintendents aren't good at email. So he might not even know. When you get there, if he's like, oh, I didn't know you were starting today. So yeah, they told me that might happen. So they wanted you to check your email. And by the way, you might sit around for half the day before they actually find a crew to put you on. Now, we don't manage the job site here at the office. So it's going to be up to the superintendent to figure out which crew to put you on, right? And so you might sit around for a half day. Doesn't mean we don't care about you. Doesn't mean we don't want you there. It's just part of our process that we're working through right now. We're working on improving it. But right now, that is the reality of who we are. 
So now what happens when that employee shows up on Monday, seven o'clock, and superintendent doesn't know who they are? They expected it. It's not a surprise. It doesn't make them feel like they were neglected. And then when the superintendent runs around for half the day dealing with all the Monday morning stuff that they deal with, now they don't feel like they're being neglected by the superintendent because they were warned this is what's going to happen. And I see still today an awful lot of companies that sort of have this Christians to the lions approach to hiring people. So they hire someone. They don't manage expectations at all. They just throw them into the ring and see if they can survive. <laughs> and then if they can survive, well, okay, maybe maybe they're a good hand. Yeah, yeah. But in this day and age, that guy's gone. Oh, or yeah. that He's gal's gone. Yeah, they got options. They got, they got options. So the, the Christian to the lions, I think, is the tradition in construction. And I think we need to rethink that. One of the many reasons that parents don't want their kids going into the industry anymore. You know, they're not, they're not equipped. And that's, and that's a so, big problem. It's so interesting too, because there's so much opportunity in construction with it being, you know, a third of the gross domestic product of the United States. There's so much opportunity. And there's so many people that just because of their own tenacity, have become multimillionaires in the industry. There's so much opportunity here that it's really sad to me. And you get to build things uh, that we don't attract uh, really the top people anymore into the industry. And so hopefully uh, maybe all maybe the changes that have to happen now will be very beneficial overall. I hope do you, so. Do you see the trends at all? Are you still seeing it sort of the same? Um, I see that there are some people watching other industries going, why can't we be like them? And those are the people that are excited to talk to us because we expose them to a different way of thinking about this. But I also see a lot, especially the companies that have been around for a while, uh, maybe their they're older ownership, they've been in business for a while. They're just numb to this. They're used to it. And they don't think the problem can be solved. And they're not going to put in the work or put the effort towards solving this problem because they've just been dealing with it for so long. Like we want to talk about the construction labor shortage being a new thing. It's not a new thing. It's been around for decades. It's been, I I found an article from the 60s that talked about the labor shortage. Like it's nothing new. Uh, And yet here we have it 60 years later. The industry is still complaining, but they're they're doing more complaining than they are doing solving it. And I think that's still true, except for those few people that say, you know what, there's a better way to run a construction company and I'm going to go find it. Yeah. And I do think that for some of the companies I know that are just really top notch, it's kind of their competitive market in the marketplace is their competitive advantage is they they know how to hire and keep great people. Yep. And they grow their people. They are oh, just yeah. stagnant in one place. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. That's great secrets. I think that's great. So what do you think is the biggest mistake that you see most construction companies make when they're hiring? Is, is it one of these secrets or is it something else? You know, I tell people biggest if they, I would say the one thing that most of them get wrong 
is they've been using the same old boring job ad that hasn't worked for decades, hoping that maybe this time it'll bring in someone better. If we were to go to Indeed right now and type in construction jobs, I promise you 90% of the ads look like they were all copy and pasted from the 1900s, right? <laughs> they're, they're that old. They, they haven't been updated. There's nothing compelling about them. They're a, they're a list of bullets that I, I, I say it's similar to, imagine buying a, an automobile. You see a television commercial for an automobile. And instead of the attractive couple sitting in the car with the top down on the PCH, smiling and loving life in this $100,000 Corvette, all they did was put up the price and the maintenance schedule. At 500 miles, you're going to do this. At 3,000 miles, you're going to do this. At 10,000, you're going to pay us this much to do this. That's what our job ads look like. <laughs> Sounds like an apprentice program. <laughs> and we wonder why people don't want our jobs. It's like, you've got to market these things. You have to make this compelling. You have to get people excited about it. I mean, just go watch television commercials and none, never do they sell the actual product. Yet we think all the time we've got to sell the role and responsibilities on our job ads and people are just going to line up to do the work for not a lot of pay. And well, and, there, and nowadays too, the, I, at least where, you know, I think it's everywhere, but where I'm in Silicon Valley, there's a whole potload of jobs down the road. Oh, yeah. There you don't have to be outside. You can work from home. You can work from anywhere. It's, that's hard to compete with. You've got to be even more compelling than you used to have to be. Absolutely. So I think that's one of the biggest mistakes. They use their same old, boring, broken job ads. They just keep posting and they just keep spending money on Indeed, thinking that maybe this time it'll get me better results. So what kind of things, what, what are three things that would be in a great ad? So we actually, there's four sections to a great job ad and okay. none of them have to do with anything you have on your job ads today, right? We want it, we, a really great lead in, capture somebody. It's been said on a website, you have three seconds to capture someone's attention. In three seconds, you have three seconds when they're scrolling through Indeed and they're clicking on ads, you got three seconds. So that first line or two, it's prime real estate to make sure that you are pulling them in and they go, okay. I want to read more. Then get really clear on what you don't want. Put that in the ad. We don't want lazy, entitled, <laughs> think that they should be CEO tomorrow. We don't want these things, just so you know. Because what I found is that people are really good at expressing what they don't want. They're way more effective at that than expressing what they do want. I agree. Now, if you do have capacity to do it and you have an idea what you want, then put that in there, right? But what you don't want, get really clear on what you do if you can, and then make it very compelling. Sell the organization. Don't sell the job, sell the company. Not in the way that most do, like we've been in business since 1942 and we're a third generation employee owned company with great benefits and we do really cool work and like, stop it. No, no, sell the company. What do I get when I show up? I don't get 1942 and I don't get great benefits all the time. What do I get? Sell your values. Tell me where you're going as an organization. Tell me about your vision. You know, we talked, you talked about the right people in the right seats. And Jim Collins is the one that started that, right? With good to great. Mm -hmm. But once you know where the bus is going, 
you got to be really clear on how you communicate that. Because if you don't communicate it well, you're going to get a whole bunch of people that think you're going up, uh, going water skiing, when it turns out you're going up to the mountains to do some snow skiing. And you got a whole bunch of people standing around their skivvies, freezing their tail off because they're like, this isn't where I wanted to go. I thought we were going to the lake. But we don't get clear on our vision. We don't get clear on where our bus is going. And we fail to communicate it to people. Do that in the job ad. Like that's what the point of that is. I also think that there's this feeling that we have this opening. We just, we need to get like enough people, enough bodies in there. Mm -hmm. uh, and the more bodies we get in there, the, the ad was great. Instead yeah. of using the ad to repel the people you don't want. Yeah. Yeah. Get it to turn it away. And and use screening questions, like use the tools that exist out there. There are so many tools to help you with this process. Uh, very rarely do we come across a company uh, that is less than 500 employees and they're actually using the tools effectively. Very rarely. Wow. And that's most construction companies. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know it is. Uh, <laughs> so so what's, the, what's the fourth thing that's in there? Yeah, so the, the, the fourth one would be that... that you know, what are you selling? The what's in it for me, right? So it's a marketing term. What's in it for me? What are you really selling me, right? When I see that Corvette on PCH, I'm, you're selling lifestyle. You're selling fun. You're not selling an overpriced car that is a gas guzzler that, you know, you're not selling that. No, you're selling the lifestyle. So sell a lifestyle. So think, okay, if I'm going to write this ad, who am I writing it to? And what's in it for them? What do they get out of joining our team personally, professionally? How are we going to invest in them? How are we going to make sure they can take care of their family? How are we going to give them a reason to get out of bed in the morning and come do this work every single day? And the truth is, most construction work sucks. It's hard work. It's, hard. it's brutal on the body. It's dangerous. And we think that the way we motivate people is by paying them more, which even the industry hasn't kept up with that. Well, that's it's it's like number twelve on motivation. It, absolutely, absolutely. But purpose, you know, what difference are they making in the world when they do this work? Uh, vision, like somebody's going to actually take me under their wing and and create a career path opportunity for me. Those are the things people get excited about. Yeah, I agree. So, how can you? If I have a construction company and it's mid-size, small, mid-size, I mean, 500 people is that you have full-time, that's a pretty good-sized construction company. Yeah. Um, how can I develop my people so that I have a team of rock stars? Well, I will tell you, rock stars are born. They're not made. So that's the first thing. When you're that hiring... Back, to go back to number one. Make Hire sure them. you're hiring the right people. I mean, that's what it really comes down to. But I will tell you one of the biggest challenges construction companies face when creating teams of really highly successful teams is poor or lack of communication. It's the number one issue. And it doesn't matter if you're in construction or you're in Silicon Valley writing new software or building cars. Communication is what makes or breaks companies. And when you've got a team of leaders in an office, and you've got teams dispersed all over either your region or the country or the world in some cases, you've got to do communication so much better than the company that has everybody sitting in one building together. You have to be so much more intentional about it. I can't tell you how many times 
things are made at the leadership level in the office that never get to the field. And then they get mad at the field because they're not following this new rule or this new procedure that no one told them about. Mm-hmm. And now what happens? I, I don't know how you feel, but when I get yelled at for doing something, especially if I didn't know any better, that demotivates me. That's not too motivating. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sitting that, here thinking, well, if you're not going to tell pretty me, angry. then I'm not going to yeah. care anymore. Yeah. Exactly. And that's going to translate into so many other things. Mm-hmm. So if you want highly effective teams, you've got to nail communication. Yeah. In my, uh, in my research, in my book, uh, The Trusted Leader, uh, what I found in uh, asking 134 different construction teams, you know, what's the best, best project you've ever worked on, what made it really great, and the worst project you've ever worked on in your career, what made it so horrible? On the best project, 95% said that it was communication. And on the worst project, 98% said it was communication. And so what I realized is that, you know, communication is pretty, pretty darn important. And that fear shows up as poor communication. And as soon as you, I'm not going to tell you my truth. I'm not going to tell you what's really going on. I'm not going to share with you that I'm pissed off at you. I'm not going to share that you (laughs) insulted me. I'm not going to share that, you know, I'm looking for a job. I'm not going to, you know, this, it just, it just snowballs everywhere. Absolutely. I'm not going to coordinate with that person. I'm not going to, I'm not calling that person. I'm not saying, yeah. Yeah, it just, no, you could keep going. You could yeah. just keep going. Like it's yeah, yeah. It's, communication it's, is so paramount to all of this. It really you it, cannot over communicate with your people. I'll tell you that you can't. Yeah, no, it's just critical. So I understand that you have an idea for one change that can increase the number of applicants by three hundred percent. So we want to end today with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've already talked about it a little bit, so we can talk about it a little bit more. Uh, but it's your job ad. It's getting a highly effective job ad. So the one thing to remember about the job boards, like Indeed, ZipRecruiter, Monster, CareerBuilder, these are job boards. The one thing to remember about them is they are search engines. They just happen to index and provide results around jobs. So just like you need to search engine optimize your website, you need to search engine optimize your job ads. You need to make sure you've got the right amount of keywords, usually the job title. You got to make sure that the job title is one that people are actually searching. Um, you know, we had a client that was looking for sheet metal roofers. So he put in architectural sheet metal roofer. No roofers typing in the word architectural. I can't even spell that word. <laughs> like that's, no one's typing that in. And then he went with sheet metal roofers. And I said, why are you doing that? He goes, because I don't want someone that's a tile roofer. Like I need these to be sheet metal roofers. I go, I bet you get a lot of HVAC guys, don't you? It goes all the time. I'd be because the industry has said when you're sheet metal, it's mechanical. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so so I said, go to your guys that you like and say, what would you type in? Go to your team and say, what would you type into indeed if you were looking for work? And they'll tell you. Yeah. And it was roofer. (laughs) And I'm like, so you can teach a roofer how to do sheet metal. He's like, yeah, that's easy. I'm like, then why are we sitting here setting the bar so high? So get really clear on your job ads. Make sure you've got effective titles. Make sure it's what people are searching for. Make sure they're keyword optimized. Make sure they're compelling and make sure they're distributed everywhere. Indeed is not the only job board on the planet. In fact, only three to 5% of job seekers are actually on Indeed or any of the job boards at any given time. It means 95% of the market is not on Indeed. 
95% of the people looking to switch jobs are not there. Yeah. And I know in the, in the unionized market, you know, they, they go to the union, but if the union doesn't have anybody, which they haven't for a long time, nobody on the bench, then you're in the same position. You got to go out and try to find people that you can then try to get into the apprentice programs or into a program within the union. So you're, you're kind of in the same place. Everyone that's non-union is. So use the right tools and use them correctly. Perfect. So I, is your book out now? How, where can people find it? Yeah. Where can people find you if they want more? Yeah. So how to hire the ones you won't want to fire. Um, it's out. It's available on Amazon if you want hard copy. And we'll tell you what, link. though. We'll put what a link that? in the notes. Yeah. Uh, if you want a free copy, you can actually download a PDF version from my website at thecorematters.com. And you can find out all about what we do there, uh, our training and coaching program. You can find out about the tools that I've been talking about. Um, we've even got a free masterclass. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about what's going on, and I'll even share our five power tools that we use in our practice to really help you just you know, change the way the game is played when it comes to recruiting. Well, I appreciate you coming so much. I think this is such an important topic always, but particularly right now. So really appreciate it, Ryan. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. Take care, everybody. Okay, Construction Nation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of Lead with Trust. Will you do me a favor? If you think this episode can help anyone on your team or business, please forward it to them please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And your honest review, hopefully five stars, is much appreciated. Every leader who learns how to build their business and projects on a foundation of trust is going to reap the rewards of greater productivity, attracting the best of the best, enjoying your business more, and doing things you thought were impossible. If you want to know where you are in your trusted leader journey, I have a free resource for you please just go to sudico.com slash profile, S-U-D-Y-C-O dot com slash profile. And you can grab it there and find out where you are on your trusted leader journey. And so that is a wrap for today. Can't wait until I get a chance to hang out with you again next week. And until then, have a great day.